I went to Moody Bible Institute, and in Moody Bible Institute, one of the things you have to do is read a biography of D.L. Moody. So this is the biography of D.L. Moody that I that I happen to read. We didn't have to read uh, the 500-page one or the 300-and-some-page one. Um, we were able to, they allowed us to read this shorter version. In fact, they gave it to us to read, so uh, we were all reading the same one there. The, f- the freshman coming in, it's about 130 pages. Uh, D.L. Moody was a layman. He was not a pastor. He was not a theologian. Uh, at, you know, that, that was not his, his uh, claim at all. Um, he, he, would, um, he would be appalled, actually, that there was a place called Moody Bible Institute. Uh, it wasn't named after him until, until he died. It was the Chicago Bible Institute while he was alive. Um, he did not want anything named after him. Now, many feel Moody was um, used by God more than any other man of the 19th century. In fact, one of the biographies, not this one, but another one is called uh, The Greatest Evangelist of the 19th Century is, is the title of one of the, one of the books there. Uh, Moody was born February 5th in 1837 in Northridge, Massachusetts. He was born into a very poor family. He was the seventh of nine children. Uh, his father died at the age of 41 when Moody was four years old. Uh, and in fact, it was after his father, two months after his father had passed, that the last two children were born. They were twins, uh, and they were born two months after Moody's father died, and they were number uh, eight and nine there. And it was said that the uh, creditor, they were, the creditors came to, because, you know, dad was dead, and they wanted to do what they could to make sure they could secure um, the money that was due them. So they took everything that the family had, and it says including the firewood, which to us doesn't seem like much, but to them, you know, uh, firewood had a, a, a quite a, a you know valuable thing. Um, Moody's mother sent the children to the Unitarian Church as they were growing up. Uh, she didn't want them to wear out their shoes. So she would have them carry their shoes and socks as they went to the church. And when they would get within about a block of the church, she would have them stop and sit down and put on their socks and shoes so that they could go to church in a proper way. Um, they, um, at the age of the, the, the family, some of the older kids then had to go out and, and work to try and help the, help the family. Uh, but Moody, you know, being number seven, it wasn't, you know, that wasn't his part, but it was still, when he turned the age of 17, he went to Boston to take a job in his uncle's shoe store. And he did so well that he became one of the top salesmen, uh, shoe salesmen in, on the East Coast. And even he was able to open up his own, his own store after a while. Now, when he went to Boston to live with his uncle, his uncle insisted that he attend church, and it was not the Unitarian Church anymore. Don't get the idea that the Unitarian Church was good because Moody went there. It wasn't, and it isn't, but that's another sermon. Um, the, uh, you know, so his, his uncle insisted, though, that he go to the Congregational Church. That was Moody's first experience and connection uh, and introduction, really, to any type of evangelical Christianity. Uh, when he was there. Now, it was a Sunday school teacher named Mr. Kimball who led Moody into relationship with Jesus, and that was in the back of the shoe store, and Mr. Kimball was in the shoe store one day uh, getting shoes. It wasn't at the church. It was, uh, you know, it was there. Now, Moody, it says, you know, became very interested in serving the church, 
and he wanted to join the church, uh, but he was such a non-intellectual type that um, he flunked the membership class. Maybe that's not the parts I should give you, you know, the week before we're going to have a membership class. But he flunked, uh, he flunked membership class, and I'm reading that, and I'm thinking, how in the world can you flunk membership class? Well, he continued to try, and it says after a couple of years, then he was accepted as a member, but they made a note, they made a note on there that he was extremely illiterate about the things of God. Uh, and I, I just found that kind of interesting for a guy we never think of that way. Uh, it, he surprised his, his church family there when about the age of 30, he had told them that he decided to sell his business and work for God full time as a layman. Now, what Moody had been doing before that is he wanted to start a Sunday school class in, in the church there. And again, they didn't feel he was able to, you know, be able to communicate uh, the word of God very effectively. Uh, and they didn't allow him to do that. Well, he started his own Sunday school class. You know, it was kind of interesting in a different building, which, um, grew quite substantially part of the reason is he would go out into the highways and the byways and force them to come in uh you know that uh, that kind of a that kind of a picture there uh, but he after he spoke in his church they told him that he could do a great service for god by keeping his mouth shut and I thought, well, you know, I remember the first thing I shared in a church, and I don't know if you'd, we'd be so bold to call it a sermon. It was just a burden that was on my heart. And I had talked to our pastor about it, and uh, he came over, and we we sat in my backyard in lawn chairs, and we talked about this, and just some just this burden that God had put on my heart about some stuff. And he, when we were done, said to me, would you share that with the people on Sunday? I didn't know any better, so I said yes. And I remember when, when I, you know, I got up there and very passionately shared my heart with with them on on what this was that it was that was you know going on in my in my heart. And then I remember very clearly when it was over, and you know after the service was over, and uh, Don Nelson, a guy that I I really respected, uh, he was uh, he was a he was a craftsman. I mean, he did woodwork. Um, he worked for uh, the city of Chicago, but he just was a real craftsman. I, and I really respected him even as a person. Uh, and, and I remember when he came up to me and he said, I couldn't understand a word you said. <laughs> I was, because see, I was, I was about the best mumbler, um, you know, that there was. And, and so uh, Moody was, you know, was not real encouraged uh, by, uh, his church people at that point, uh, but he he continued to try and to serve. And as he was traveling, he heard a man named Henry Varley, and this is what Henry Varley uh, said: "The world is yet to see what God will do with, and for, and through, and in a man who is fully consecrated to God." And Moody's response was not, "Well, here I am, Lord, but send him." Moody's response was, "You know, by uh, you know God's grace, I will do the best I can to be that man." They say that Moody shared the gospel with over 100 million people uh, in his lifetime, not only 
in very public ways. And remember, this was before they had amplification. He would speak to crowds of, of you know, three, five thousand, and even more, just by speaking loudly. <laughs> um, you know that you know that was that was just kind of how it worked. And but often without polish, without any formal education, uh, he is a man whose availability far exceeded his ability. You know, he just worked to make himself available to God. Now, the ones who stand out to me in D.L. Moody's biography, though, the two guys who really stand out to me are Moody's uncle, who insisted that he go to church while he while Moody lived with them, and and then Mr. Kimball, the Sunday school teacher, who saw a 17-year-old kid in a shoe store and knew that he needed to hear about Jesus. And these two guys were available to God as they went through their normal day. As they went through their everyday living with their eyes on Jesus. And God used these men who were available to tell Moody about Jesus. And it seemed God used their availability to teach Moody to be available to God as well. Now, we're finishing up the stewardship series today, and you may have already guessed the first blank in your outline. If you didn't, here it is for you. It's a matter of being available to God. (coughs) This is our fifth week in our four-week series, because somebody got a little carried away on week three. Um, uh, Week one, we saw that it's a matter of lifestyle. Week two, we saw it's a matter of outlook. Week three and four, and that's where we got stretched out. We saw it's a matter of trust. Today, a matter of being available to God. Because you see, the degree to which you trust God is reflected in your outlook. It's expressed through your lifestyle, which is a lifestyle of being available to God. It's all connected, and we've gone full circle here with this whole thing. You know, it's how much you trust God. It's reflected in your outlook. It's expressed through your lifestyle and a lifestyle should be that of being available to God, no matter where you are, no matter what you have, no matter what you're doing. Let's pray. We're going to get into a passage that really kind of pulled this out for me. Father, thank you for who you are. And I thank you for those who came along and shared the gospel with us, who were available to God, who were available to you. Uh, to be able to share with us the reality of what it means to know you. And Father, I know in my own life, and I, and I think for all of us here, it was more than one person. You used people who were available to you to be able to share with us the reality of Christ. For some, it was, a, it was in a very formal way, maybe in Sunday school or in, and even in a church service. For others of us, it was, it was in a much less formal way. A friend or a coworker, or sometimes even a stranger who shared the gospel with us. Oh, Father, I thank you that they were available. And we can all gather here. I just think of the hundreds, maybe even thousands of people, I don't know, that are represented by these here, that represent those who came before and were available to you. Oh, Father, teach us, not just by their example, but by your word now, as we look into your word and into your truth, that we would be able to glean the reality of what it means to be yours the reality of what it means to uh, to be available to you. We only get part of it. So enlarge our vision, I pray, in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to be in Acts chapter 3. If you have a, a Bible, turn there. If you don't, there's one in the pew in front of you. It's on page 1005. 
in the Pew Bible or on your phone. It's wherever it is. So you go ahead and look it up. <clears throat> this passage is also one I'd like to look at in our Engage series when we get to that maybe again later this year. Uh, and I was thinking, well, maybe I'd even use the same title. I don't know. Um, you may have noticed there's eight characteristics, you know, of available people who are available to God in your outline. Uh, so we're going to move kind of quickly. I was uh, sharing with uh, Paul and Barb on Wednesday. I said it's going to be kind of a machine gun um, sermon. He said, well, you talk fast anyway. Um, I didn't want to, I'm going to, you know, we're going to move quickly. And I'm also going to, you know, you have the eight there. And there's actually another two or three that I'm going to throw in there uh, that don't show up in your outline because I didn't want to make you nervous about the length of the sermon. So I only included uh, eight. There's really only one point, the one point that you already have there, that of being available to God. And, uh, you know, these are just some characteristics. Now, if you miss something, don't get all flustered. Sometimes I see, you know, you miss something and you lean over and you say to the other person, what was that? What was that? Two things. One, fill in what you want. You know, just fill in what you want. Whatever makes sense to you, don't worry about it. Some of you do that anyway. It's okay. It's better that it makes sense to you. So fill in what you want. And also, you can get online and you can listen, you know, on the way out. You can mention to Ron and he'll run a copy or two for you. And you can listen to it again. So, you know, don't get yourself all flustered there. Acts chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. Follow along. Now, Peter and... I'm going to stop in the middle of of, uh, of something, so don't let that bug you either. Um, but now Peter and John were going up together to the temple complex at the hour of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. And a man who was lame from birth was carried there and placed every day at the temple gate called Beautiful... So he could beg from those entering the temple complex. When he, when he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for, uh, he asked for help. Peter, along with John, looked at him intently and said, silver and gold have I none. Well, anyway, if you were in Sunday school as a kid, you'd know that. Uh, they looked at him intently and said, look at us. So he turned to them expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold, but what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then taking him by the right hand, he raised him up, and at once his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up, stood, and started to walk. And he entered the temple complex with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple complex. So they were filled with awe and astonishment at what had happened to him. While he was holding on to Peter and John, all the people, greatly amazed, ran toward them and it was called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Or why do you stare at us as though we had made him walk by our own power or godliness? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he decided to release him. Now it goes on and Peter is able to, you know, share more with him. And that's where we're going to stop today. Uh, you know, but and looking at this, what can we learn about being available to God from these verses? God uses available people. So, you know, what qualities, characteristics can we see about being available to God? That's what you have in your outline. What kind of people does God link up with? First of all, number one there. <clears throat> people who are doing the right things. Now, by right things, what I mean here is people who are investing in their relationship with God. That's what I mean by right things. 
You see, they're investing in their relationship with God. That's important. If you have a relationship with God, then you invest in that. You know, you have a relationship with, you know, with a, with a husband or a wife, you invest in that. You know, Ginny and I still invest in our relationship together, you know, with one another. We, we went out Friday night. You know, we went out to eat, uh, you know, with another couple. And Ginny asked me about it, and I said, do I have to be nice? And it, she assured me I did, but so so we went. But you, you invest, and here they are, they're investing in that relationship. When you're investing in your relationship with God, you're using what he has given you with care. You know, not only the stuff, but the time as well. It includes our time. Notice what it says. This was a regular time of prayer. One is several during the day. And Peter and John, they're going to the gathering at the temple. They're doing the right thing. You aren't doing the right thing when you avoid getting together with God's people. God's pretty clear that we are to be gathering together with those who know him and love him. A a wide variety of reasons, you know, all of which we're not going to be able to get into right now. That's, again, a different sermon. But it's important there, and they're going and doing it. Peter and John are doing, they're doing a lot together in the book of Acts, in the beginning of the book of Acts here. Uh, that you see, uh, you know, Peter, who was very impulsive, Peter, who messed up a few times, Peter, who, you know, denied the Lord, Peter, who uh, it, it, he, he got a list of things there for Peter that he did. And then you have John, John, who, you know, love, he loved people anyway, even if they messed up. Isn't that great? We need people like that in our lives, people who love us, you know, even 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 when we mess up. When you're doing the right thing, when you're investing in your relationship with God, you have more to share with others, you know, and, and you are you. You're making yourself more available to God as you're investing in that relationship. He doesn't have to spend a lot of time getting you up to speed, you see, because you, you, you already, you're already rolling with him and it's much easier for him to use you. God hooks up with people who are regularly doing the right things. Number two, <coughs> he also uses people who are willing to be interrupted. Peter and John stop and they, and they they engage this man as they're entering the temple to pray. They weren't going to the temple to find somebody to help. That's not what they were doing. They were going to the temple to enter to, and, and they were focused on going in for this time of prayer. And here, you know, they they are, they stop and they engage this man. It takes an openness. It takes to be willing to be interrupted. It takes an openness to God as well as an openness to others. Now, we can get so focused on our own plans and our own agenda, whatever we're doing, that we shut ourselves off to being available to God because we're so involved in what we're doing. You know, people who love people are willing to be interrupted. Now, if you don't love people, it's a bit of more intentionality for you. I know some pastors that don't like people, you know, and I know some pastors of large churches. It would surprise you to hear who some of them are. And when I say they don't like people, they don't get energy from people. Is what, is what I mean by that. People don't energize them. People energize me. I enjoy being with people. You know, and, and, you know, but, but some don't. And if it's not, you know, I, I, Charlie Brown said, um, I, I love mankind. It's people I can't stand. Um, <clears throat> you know, but, you know, it's that whole picture, that whole picture there, you know, it, he, they're open to it. We probably all have some activities that we're kind of consumed by, uh, you know, no, 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 no matter what it is. Oh, my, my, uh, brother, one of my brother-in-laws, 
<clears throat> whenever he's watching, whenever he was watching any sports on TV, they could never get his attention. Uh, attention. They found out the one way to get his attention was they would say, "Cubs win, Cubs win," and then he'd look at him. You know, no matter what it was going. So you know, whatever, whatever. You know, John is watching TV and you want his attention. You say, "Cubs win." Yesterday we stopped over. Uh, Pete and Jess invited us over uh, for kind of an impromptu supper, which was kind of fun. And so we're there, and <laughs> Jenny's talking to Aniston. And all of a sudden, Aniston is lost in space. She wasn't lost in space. She, they were watching a program on, on TV, and Aniston was focused on there, and it was real clear. All of a sudden, Aniston couldn't hear Grandma anymore. And she loves Grandma, you know. I mean, that, she's, that Grandma's one of the important people to her. Yeah, but, but, but we all get the, we all get, we all have things that we get so involved in that our hair could be on fire and we wouldn't even know. You know I mean, it's just, we, we get focused on something and, and you know, and, and, you know, here's, here these guys are, are going in. God uses us, you know, when they put people first. When we put people before projects, before, you know, experiences, before stuff, God is in the people business, which means we should be in the people business. You know, the, Jesus Christ died for people. The only thing that's going from this earth is people. All this other stuff, you know, we've been talking about the last three weeks, you know, your, your finances and, and your possessions and all this stuff. All that's going to be left behind. The only thing that is going from here, the only thing that is going from here, the only thing you're going to have in heaven with you from here, uh, you know, that you can take with you, are those people that you that, that that come to know Christ. God is in the people business. We need to be involved in that. Expand your willingness to be interrupted. Let's go faster. Verse three, number three, which is from verse four. Uh, available people are people who pay attention. To needs, Peter and John didn't didn't simply walk by, but they saw this man had a need. You see, Peter and John were givers, and and and, and now notice they didn't give this man what the man wanted or what he asked for. They gave this man what he needed. They gave him what he needed. People who are available to God spot a need and they work to bring the love of God to bear on that need. Givers are not people with less personal needs themselves. They're not people who, you know, who have it all together necessarily. They simply believe that what God said is true, that it's more blessed to give than to receive, that you treat others in the way that you would like to be treated. People who are available to God don't concentrate on themselves they concentrate on others. And while they're concentrating on others, God does some incredible things through them. Some incredible things. What else could Peter of John have said to this man? Just use your imagination for a while. You know, they, they could have said, you know, I'd love to help you right now, but I got to go to church. I said that to somebody one time. It was my brother, and I, I, I'm ashamed to admit it. You know, and he came over on a Sunday morning and, um, you know, and he needed help with something. And I thought, well, I can help him later. I got to go to church, you know, and, and, and that's what I told him. And I went to church and mentioned it to, well, Randy Boltzmann. And Randy said he should have went with him. You know, it was a good learning experience for me. Um, what else could he, you know, what else could they have said? You know, I came to worship God and get feeling better. You know, they, they don't, don't bother me with your problems here, buddy. That's what he, uh, you know, and it, they could have said, you know, why is it every time we come to church that we have to do all the work? Now, 
just something for you to think about. You know, people got here at 8 a.m. this morning to start getting ready to serve you and, and to, you know, to do things for what, what you were coming here, you know, for you and your family. Uh, people were here, they were getting ready for the nursery, Sunday school, music, sound, video, people, greeters, children's church workers. Uh, somebody came and got the, the communion stuff ready for us today. Uh, here's something for you to consider. If everyone who came here today put as much effort into the service as you did today, what kind of service would this be? Just a thought. Just a thought for you. Uh, another thing they could have said, you know, you know, this man, this man's looking for something that I don't have. So he's silver and gold. I don't have any silver and gold. It's not my concern. You know, here I am, Lord, but you know, you use him, you know, you use him, call, you know, call him, send this other guy. Peter and John didn't use any of these excuses because they were available to God. Number four, uh, God uses people, you know, who are available to God, who inspire hope in others. This man was looking to Peter and John. He expected something. He had hope of being helped. Those who, those who inspire hope, you know, they have an attractiveness to them. People want to be around them. What we need to do, we need to be more concerned about making others feel good about themselves than we are in making them feel good about us. You need to make other people, you know, feel, feel good about themselves more than you're concerned about making them feel good about you. Inspire hope in them. We all know people, we all know people who, that we like to be around because they give us life. We also know people who we don't like to be around because they suck the life out of us. They're just a lot of work, you know, they're a lot of work to be around. But we want to be with those who bring joy to us because they pour into us. And we enjoy being with them because they pour into us. Be a person that people enjoy being around. Pour your life into others. Be someone who inspires hope in others. Number five. People who are available to God also give what they have. <clears throat> Did you notice Peter, Peter's response here in verse six? I don't have, you know, I don't, I don't, silver and gold have I none. Clap, clap. But such a, he said, you know, I, I don't have what you're asking for, but what I have, I'm going to give to you. And Peter introduces him to what Jesus can do for him. Givers find a way to give as directed by God, not by the situation and not directed by the one needing help. Did you hear that? It's not by the situation. It's not by the, it's not directed by the one asking for help. <clears throat> because a lot of times the one asking for help doesn't need the help they're asking for because they're usually asking you for money. See, one of my one of my concerns is that we're all going to go out of here and the first guy, and if, if there's a guy with a cardboard sign at the end of the driveway, he's going to be in like Flint today because everybody's going to be throwing money out the window at him. You're, then you're not hearing what I'm saying. You know, you're not hearing that at all. You know, what, what he's talking, what they do here, you know, they give as directed by God. You know, the reply to the man doesn't start out very well at all. In fact, it, it kind of starts out a little discouraging. I don't have any silver or gold. Well, then why, why, but he goes on, he says, but, and right, right there, you see, givers look for a way to give, to let God work through them. They're not stopped by what they don't have. They use what they do have. Number six, people who are available to God realize their source of giving is God. Their source of giving 
is God. Peter and John realized God's power. They realized God's provision. They realized his partnership. There's another sermon for you. God's power, you know, <coughs> God's power is his ability to give. He has that ability to give. His provision is his willingness to give. God is willing. You know, he is willing to, to give that. He's willing to help us. His partnership, the partnership is his reason to give. He wants to give through us. Think through the Bible for a minute. As you look through the Bible, after creation, God uses people over and over and over again to bring about the significant, significant events that you see in Scripture there. God's choice, not ours. You know, God doesn't deal direct. He works through people. When God was going to flood the earth one day, he didn't announce to everybody, hey, I'm going to flood the earth. He used Noah. And he had Noah there, not only building the ark, but sharing with the people. And he worked through Noah when he wanted the people of Israel out of Egypt. He didn't just pick them up and set them over in the land of Canaan, which he certainly could have done. That he was capable of doing that. But he didn't do that. Instead, he used Moses. When the walls of Jericho were going to fall down, God didn't simply flick them over. He had the people march around him for seven days. And on the seventh day, they marched around it seven times. And then the walls came tumbling down. When Goliath was going to be killed, why didn't God just knock him down? He could have. Instead, he used David. When God sent his son into the world, why didn't he just shoot him in on a lightning bolt and announce, my son is now in the world? Instead, he worked through Mary. He worked through the Magi. He worked through John the Baptist. When God wants to work in lives today, why doesn't he just speak in an audible voice? Because God in his sovereignty said he will work through his people. He doesn't have to. He chooses to. He chooses to work through his people. We're in trouble when we feel independent, you know, when, when, you know, like we're the source and we're the supply. We're also trouble, we're also in trouble when we feel that, you know, that uh, inadequacy that in, in the sense that, that, that there is no hope, that there is no supply. No, there is, and it's that connection with God. God doesn't care who he flows through as long as they're consecrated to him, available to him, and as long as God gets the glory. Number seven. Available people are willing to try and to trust God to do the rest. Peter, look at look at verses 7 through 10 there. Peter took this man's hand to help this crippled man to his feet. Feet on which the man had never walked. It says he was lame from birth. To stand on legs that have never held him up before. Peter could reach out his hand. God had to do the rest. Peter was willing to try and he was willing to trust God. Be available to God. And being available to God contains a lot of faith. It's a lot of faith you know, to be available to God. How we give ourselves shows who we trust. It shows if we trust God or if we trust ourselves. Number eight. Available people want God to receive the glory. Verses 11 through 13 there. Peter says, why are you looking at us? Why are you looking at us? We didn't do this. Jesus did this. And by the way, you guys rejected him. Now it goes on, the part we didn't read, he goes on and he is able to share even more about the gospel of Christ. He's able to share even more about the reality of who Jesus is, but how all of this other stuff preceded that opportunity. 
And God works through Peter and John because they were available to him and they, and they worked to grow and to stay available to him. <coughs> How about you? What about you? Look at the bottom of your outline. And the bottom of your outline is a little commitment I'd like you to consider. And this is something between you and God. You have been entrusted with something that God needs. Now, let me be very clear. I am not talking about money. That's not what I'm talking about. You see, that becomes too easy for us. It's too easy for us to throw money at the problem. It's too easy for us to just, you know, to, 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 to pay it and, and then to think that, that we're doing. I am not talking about money here at all. That's usually our answer. That is, that is not what I'm talking about. Think of somebody. Just think of somebody that you want to give something to. You know, someone that you want to see God bless. And be available to have them do it through you. Make a phone call and listen to someone. Don't call to give them advice. Don't call to straighten them out. Call and listen to someone. Babysit for a couple who needs to get out. You should all be writing something down now. You should be, you should be writing somebody's name down. You should be writing some stuff down. Maybe you can cook a meal or bake a cake to give someone. You know, maybe you have this, 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 uh, you know, this special, this special dish that you do. You know, maybe you can fix somebody's running toilet. Maybe you can go play Monopoly with the neighbor. You know, whatever it is, you know, you can think of better things than I can. You all have things that you can do to lift someone up. You all have things you can do. Now write down somebody's name right there, right on your outline. You have, you have the line right there, you know, the, the person God brought to mind. Put their name down there. Now on the lines underneath, write down what you're going to do for them. You write. I'll give you a minute. All I'm doing is asking you to respond to God right now. That's all I'm asking you to do. In a moment, we're going to pray, but I want you to, you know, I want you to use this too, you know, and you use this and you use this as a motivator for you to pray. You know, you, you pray and, and tell God you are making yourself available to him. And you're making yourself available to him in this way. Ask him to hold you accountable. Not here I am, Lord, you know, send him, but what can you do? What is it that you can do? You see, it's a matter of being available to God. It's a matter of trust, a matter of outlook, and a matter of lifestyle. The degree to which you trust God is reflected in your outlook it's expressed through your lifestyle, and it's a lifestyle of being available to God. They're all connected. We have come full circle. Make yourself available to God. You know, you're, 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 make it, you know, your trust in God, um, your outlook. Make it your lifestyle. I was reading in, in Galatians, uh, 
yesterday or might have been Friday. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, we must work for the good of all. Especially for those who belong to the household of faith. Galatians 6.10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, we must work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. This is your invitation to make yourself available to God. If you've been waiting for an invitation, this is your invitation to make yourself available to God. I'm going to close in prayer, but here's what I'd like you to do. If you wrote something down, if you wrote a name down, and something that you're going to do, um, if you if you've done that already, if you did that, I just want you to stand where you are. And I'm, as I close in prayer, I'm going to be praying for you guys. So, if if you wrote a name down and something you're going to do, stand up right now. Whew, I'm glad somebody wrote something down. That would have been really awkward, wouldn't it? Let's pray. And you, you know, with yourself, you just join in and praying. All right? Father, I'm so grateful, again, for those who interrupted their lives for me. Some of these people before me have done that for me time and again. And they have made such a difference. They have lifted me up when I've been down. They have helped me to continue to be strong, Father, when it just wasn't within me. Oh, and Lord, you see, you know what each of these people wrote down. You know what is not only on that paper, but you know what is in their heart. I lift them before you. I join together with my brothers and sisters on their feet now, Lord. And I ask you, open up those doors. I thank you for the talents and gifts. I thank you for the things that, they, that they've written down that they are going to use, that you have entrusted to their care, these abilities, these qualities, these, these talents that you have entrusted to their care that they are now going to use to minister and to reach out for you. Oh, Lord, don't let the enemy scare them away. Don't let them get distracted or consumed. Oh, Father, we need your, your help to keep our attention in ministering for you. And, Father, I pray that this just be the beginning. Not only for these standing, Father, but for all of us here, that this just be the beginning. The beginning of the opportunity to do great things for you. The beginning of the awareness more and more and more, Father, that we all have something that we can use to minister for you, that we all have things that we can do to lift others up, to encourage them, to help them, to come alongside and listen, to weep with those who weep, to mourn with those who, to rejoice with those who rejoice, Father. And what a privilege and honor to be used by you in the lives of others. So I commit them to you. I commit them to you in the name of Christ, the one who really put himself out for us. Be blessed, Father, through all of these things that are going to be done in your name and by your power, I pray, in Christ's name. Amen.